0: We go through the Bible as God's people and we are reading it, we're studying it. There's two categories that a lot of what we read are going to fall into. One of those, uh, it says here, is moreover, by them is thy servant warned. So in reading the Word of God, we find some warnings in there, but it also goes on and it says, and in keeping of them there's great reward. So the Bible is something that is full of warnings and rewards. I guess there are some people that are more cautious than others and may give a little more heed to some, uh, a warning sign. Uh, I always kind of chuckle to myself a little bit when you pull up into a gas station. I took a picture one time with my phone of a guy. We, I pulled up to a gas station and there was one of those big you know, cages where you exchange your propane tanks. And there's like five huge signs that say no smoking. And he's sitting on a bucket leaned up against that cage and he's smoking. And, and I, th- and I you know it's probably 0% chance that something's ever gonna happen to that in that situation, but this is a guy that just totally ignored the warning signs that were put up there. Uh, I've seen people sitting there pumping gas and they've got the gas nozzle in one hand and a cigarette in the other hand, and even though the gas pump has a thousand signs, it says don't smoke around the gas pumps. And, you know, I'm a little more cautious than that, but there are some people that are not. But we all have a tendency to go, to grow a little cold and a little dull to the warnings that are out there just in society, and certainly some of the warnings that we read about in the Bible. But we don't ever need to take those warnings lightly because again, this scripture is given from God Almighty, the Lord in heaven, whose eyes are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. He knows all, he sees all, he's all powerful. If we're going to listen to somebody warning us, it ought to be him. So in Proverbs, the 29th chapter in verse 25 i believe it was it says the fear of man bringeth a snare now that's a warning we just told you that the bible is full, full of warnings and rewards the fear of man bringeth a snare now what in, what in the world is a snare it's a trap but it's not just any trap it's a certain type of trap uh i've trapped some things uh before and i've got some traps that you can set out and uh as soon as whatever you're trying to catch triggers it I mean, it's in an instant, they're a goner. There is no wiggling survival, they're gone uh, from those types of traps. There's traps where there's live traps where you can catch an animal and it stays alive. But a snare is a, a, a particularly interesting type of trap. A snare is simply just a loop of wire that connects back to itself. And then as a, an animal, you maybe put it on a little trail like a, uh, for to, if you're trying to catch a rabbit to survive. and. An animal goes through that snare, and as it goes through the snare, it's it's tied to itself very loosely. And as as that animal goes through that snare, it will pull down tighter as it moves away from the snare. It's got a little device on it that keeps that loop as it closes on that animal from backing up and and, and, uh, the animal escaping. The more that animal struggles... The tighter that snare gets, and the tighter the snare gets, the more dangerous the the animal's in, and it's a a battle there, and they're trying to escape, and the more they try to escape, the worse they make the situation, until eventually the animal just dies. So a snare is a uh, uh, terrible thing to be caught in, not something you want to find yourself in. Well, the Bible tells us that the fear of man bringeth a snare. the, the old devil has got a loop out there and he's waiting for god's people to crawl through it knowing as soon as we crawl through that loop that it will begin to tighten down on us and put us in a situation where we're going to start struggling and the more we struggle the harder it gets to get out of it so the fear of man bringeth a snare now i'm not talking about the type of fear necessarily of that i would have if you know back when i was a kid You know, Mike Tyson was was it, you know, in the boxing world. He was the one to beat, you know, uh, when he was in his prime before he kind of got off track. Nobody could beat him. And he could put you on the mat, and I mean, in one punch, they even made a video game after him Mike Tyson's punch out because he was so good. Now, if I were to go up into the ring to try to box Mike Tyson, I would be afraid of him. But that's not the kind of fear I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fear of men's judgments about you. I'm talking about the fear of men's opinions about you. And when we find ourselves, when you, let me say this, when you have a fear of what people are going to think about you and and what their judgments are going to be towards you, and you may say, well, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I don't really like that statement. I do. You know, I do care to some degree. I, I, I care what you think about me. I do, and sometimes, that, sometimes when you find yourself in a, in a certain situation, you say, you know, I'm not going to do that because what would the church family think about me? That, that's okay. That's a, that's a good thing. But I'm talking, when you're talking about what people think about you, what happens is when you have a fear of what they're going to say about you, sometimes it will cause us to do things that we don't necessarily want to do. You'll find yourself maybe behaving in a certain way, talking with certain language, watching certain things, dressing certain ways that you don't really want to do. But you're so afraid of what you know your friends or the circle that you're in or society is going to think about you or what their opinion of you is going to be that you'll do some things that you don't really want to do. And then you're caught in the snare. And what I have found is once you're in that the snare, the more you do that, the more you do those things, the harder and harder and harder it is to reverse it and go back and do what you should have done to start with. Right. It's a snare. Yeah. It's a trap. I think about in, in John, the 12th chapter, there's a situation where uh, the, the, uh, the Lord has been preaching, so his apostles have been preaching, and you find that uh, there are some people, some, some pretty noble high people that are believing what they're saying, And the Bible says that they believed, but they would not confess because they were afraid of the Pharisees and they were afraid that they would be put out of the synagogue. And it says because they they valued the fear of uh, they valued the opinions of men, the praise of men more than they valued the opinions of God. Now, listen, we, we can throw stones at them, but that that we can be that way. Correct. We can be that way where. There's maybe something, a truth or a, a conviction that we are having, but we refuse to stand on that conviction because we're afraid of what men might say. And we would rather men think highly of us than God think highly of us. That happens in John, the 12th chapter. Now, I want to look this morning to me at the at, at one of the case. There are many, but one of probably the best, in my opinion, the absolute best account in the Bible where we see how the fear of men affect a person and causes them to do something that they really don't want to do. Happens all the time, every day. And and that's the account of Pilate. Now listen, y'all may totally agree with me. You may stone me for saying this. But when I read the account of Pilate, I feel a great pity for him. I feel uh, as I studied that this week and I read the accounts of Pilate, my stomach was almost turning, thinking about Pilate. Now, we can say, oh, how can you say that? He's the man that handed Jesus over to be crucified, blah, blah, blah. Listen, let's look at Pilate for just a little bit. And when I think of Pilate, I pity him. I feel sorry for him. I don't look at Pilate in the same way I look at Judas. You know, Judas... What is it? I guess maybe in legal terms, you know, you hear about crimes that, you know, with with malice and forethought. Meaning somebody premeditated this, they thought about this. Judas goes to the chief priest and he bargains with them Hey, what will you give me if I give you Jesus? And they trade back and forth, and finally for 30 pieces of silver, they say, If you give us Jesus, we give you 30 pieces of silver. That's premeditated right there. And it says in the Bible there, I believe it's in the book of Matthew, that from that point on, he sought opportunity to to betray Jesus. That's 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 different to me. OK, premeditated with malice and forethought and with a particular I mean, a, a particular intent. He sought to give Jesus into the hands of the chief priest. But now Pilate to me is different. Did he do something terrible? Yes. But I want you to look at the struggle. Now, when you read the account of Pilate, all four Gospels record some part of the exchanges that uh, that Jesus had with Pilate and Jesus had with the Jews. Well, it takes a little time to go through and look at all four of those accounts and kind of piece together a timeline of, of kind of what happened. If you just read the book of Mark you're going to get a a small picture. If you read just the book of Luke, you'll get maybe a little more picture. But if you read them all and put them together, you get a a, a complete picture. As complete as the Lord wanted us to have anyway. One of the reasons that I pity pity Pilate, and I feel sorry for him, and I see a lot of myself in Pilate, um, was that Pilate was just doing his regular thing on a regular day. Pilate was not out to get the Lord. The Lord was not in his crosshairs. He had not gone to the chief priest to negotiate. Pilate's just doing his thing. And then all of a sudden, a mob shows up at his door. Now think about that. Pilate is the governor of Judea at the time. All of a sudden, a mob shows up at Pilate's door. They've got this man, Jesus, who I'm sure he'd heard of. And they bring him to Pilate. Now, the crowd begins to... Beckon to, uh, to uh, the crowd beckons to Pilate you need to do something here you've got to intervene you see the Jews did, did not have a sovereignty when it came to their legal system they were under uh, they, they had a legal system within, their, within themselves but it was trumped by the Roman legal system and so they do not have the power and the authority to put Jesus to death So they go to Pilate, who does have that authority, and they begin to accuse Jesus of of some things, uh, really anything they could think of. Oh, he doesn't pay tribute to Caesar. Oh, he's blasphemous. Oh, he's made himself the son of God. Oh, he does this. Oh, he's trying to blah, blah, blah. They're trying to make all these things up. So when Pilate initially hears this, Pilate says, listen, handle this yourselves. You know, you're Jews. You've got your own little legal system amongst yourselves. Just handle this yourselves. Why are you bothering me with it? That's that's Pilate's first response. He tells him, just handle it yourself. But then they say, and I want you to picture. I want to picture maybe you're the crowd and maybe picture that I'm Pilate and you're standing there with Jesus. Somebody, Somebody standing up here, two or three people holding Jesus, guards, armed men holding Jesus Pilate says listen go handle this yourselves and then they say it's unlawful for us to put somebody to death we can't put this man to death unless you give us permission to put him to death and so we need we basically just need somebody to stamp the paper to say yeah it's okay to do this Pilate takes jesus into what they call the judgment hall so maybe he gets the guards to bring him up and the crowds out here and jesus takes him into the judgment hall and he begins to talk to Jesus. John, the 18th chapter is probably the, the most complete description of some of the things that I'm saying. But for the sake of time, I'm not going to read it all. Jesus, uh, Pilate takes Jesus back into the judgment hall and he talks to Jesus for a while. He brings Jesus back out to the crowd and he says to them, I find no fault in this man. I've talked to him. I've questioned him. He's not really done anything wrong. I'm not going to give this guy to you to crucify. But the crowd continues to press him and continues to press him. Jesus, I mean, a pilot finds out that he's a man of Galilee. So Pilate says, listen, take him to Herod. That's Herod's jurisdiction. The initial attempts by Pilate is leave me out of this. He said, listen, handle it yourselves. They won't do it. They need his permission. He finds out that Herod has got more jurisdiction than he's got. He said, send him to Herod. I don't want anything to do with this. You see, it's a little different than Judas. He sends him to Herod. Herod, who I don't have near as much pity for, uh, wanted to see Jesus just because he had heard of him and he wanted to see some kind of show. The Bible says he was hoping to see some miracle by Jesus. Herod wants to see the circus act. He wants to see what he would call the freak show. And Jesus, this whole time, except for a a little bit of an exchange with Pilate in the judgment hall, Jesus is completely silent, which Pilate marvels at, by the way. He's completely silent. Herod doesn't get his miracle, so Herod says, I'll tell you what we'll do. Let's just beat him a while, let's mock him a while. Let's throw a robe on him. Let's let's scourge him a little bit and just just send this guy back to Pilate. So Herod beats him or has him beat, has him scourged. And a a a bloody beaten Jesus comes back to Pilate. Now, can you imagine how Pilate probably felt about that? Like, oh, you ever had something in your life you thought was over and it keeps showing back up? He keeps he shows back up a, a, a very different looking Jesus. The crowd's not satisfied. The crowd wants him to be crucified. You understand? The crowd wants him to be crucified. Pilate takes Jesus, a beaten and bloodied Jesus, back into the judgment hall and talks to him again. And then he comes back out with Jesus and again he talks to the crowd and says, He's done nothing. He's done absolutely nothing wrong. I find no fault in him. But the crowd continues to press him. We want him to be crucified. We want you to give us permission to kill him. He tries his best to, uh, to convince the crowd and they won't hear it. The crowd continues to press, pressure him. So Pilate brings Jesus back out after talking to him again. See, it's a back and forth. Now, what is, up to this point, what do you see? Pilate does not want to crucify Jesus. He does not want to in, in, a, in a you know a metaphorical sense he, sense he does not want to stamp the paper of a death sentence on Jesus. He has tried and tried and tried. But the people keep pressing him. And so finally he brings Jesus back out remember a very beaten and bloody Jesus and he says, I'm not, I'm not going to crucify him. And I'm paraphrasing. He says, I'll chastise him, and then I'll release him. And so he does that. Now, this is where you start to feel a little less pity for him. He takes Jesus, and he has him chastised, which basically he, they just add to the beating that Herod already gave him. He brings him back out to the people and tries again, and it's not satisfying them. They want more. He talks to Jesus again, brings him back out, and they want more. So finally, he sits in what they call the judgment seat. And I, I don't know this, but I imagine it's a, some sort of seat right there where he sits down and he's about to make judgment. He's about to say, all right, this is how this is going to go. Well, when he sits down in the judgment seat and he's got a beaten and bloody Jesus beside him, all of a sudden a messenger comes running up to him. And I imagine that that messenger whispered in his ear and said, This message is from your wife. And this is a, you're talking about the mysteries of the Bible. Wouldn't you love to know what Pilate's wife dreamed? Because she says, I have suffered many things this night because of this man have nothing to do, and she says this, with this just man. God, even in the dreams of Pilate's wife, was professing that this is an innocent man to her. And she sends word to Pilate, says you better not have anything to do with this man. He is a just man. And so Pilate did what any smart husband would do, he gets back up and he tries again. And, and it's, it's interesting that, you know, you ask me, you know, my, my, none of our jobs, okay, none of our jobs is to go out and try to determine who is and isn't a child of God. But the Bible says you'll know them by their fruits. Now, we can argue all day long whether Pilate was a child of God or not, but brothers and sisters, there are some things that he says and the Bible records that I really got to think he was. Because the Bible says in one time when one of the the people in the crowd, they shouted out, he said he was the king of the Jews, the son of God. It said from that moment on, he sought even harder to release him. When he heard that, something stirred inside of Pilate. So his wife comes to him, Pilate stands up. He tries once again and they won't have him. This is what Pilate does. This again is where your pity begins to, to fade a little bit. Pilate stands up. And it says in Mark fifteen, fifteen, it says, And he being willing to content the people, he gave him over to them to be crucified. But before he did, he stands up, he takes a bowl of water, he washes his hands, and he says, This man is innocent, and I am innocent of his blood. And the Jews said this, and I, this they don't even know what they're saying. But what is what do they say? When he washes his hands and says, his his blood's not on me, they say, his blood is on us and our children. Amen. It was. They didn't even know what they were doing when they prophesied that his blood would cover the sins of all of God's people. But Pilate washes his hands and he stands back and he sends him over. In the meantime, once he hands him over, this is another thing that really stirs my spirit about Pilate. In the meantime, as he hands them over and they are taking Jesus to be crucified, Pilate goes and makes a sign. And Pilate makes a sign and it's written in three different languages and it says the king of the Jews. And it says, Pilate, put it on the cross. Now he may have had somebody do it, but he didn't say that. It says, says, Pilate, put the sign on the cross. And when the Jews saw it, they said, no, 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 no put on there that this man said he was the king of the Jews. And Pilate said, what I've written, I've written. This man's going to go on the cross and he is going to have his true title held above him as he suffers and dies. Now, you don't have to pity Pilate. I do. I do, and I see way too much of mankind in Pilate. Maybe on a much smaller scale. During all that time, as you know very well, that their custom was to release one of the prisoners. And so there was a murderer named Barabbas. And they, the crowd would rather have Barabbas back among their ranks roaming their streets than they would have Jesus. And so Pilate gives them all that. And he nails the title to the cross. Why? Why did Pilate do all of that? The Bible says because he was willing to content the people. The fear of man bringeth a snare. And Pilate found himself in a terrible snare. Maybe Pilate lacked a little bit of backbone. Maybe Pilate was thinking, oh, I got to get reelected. And here's 80% of the population out here. I don't know what what exactly Pilate was thinking, but I know this. Pilate didn't want to give Jesus up to be crucified. There is no other conclusion that I can come to studying those four Gospels other than Pilate did not want to do this. But he did it. Why? Because he was afraid of the people. He was afraid of their opinion of him. He was afraid of their judgment upon him. He was afraid of maybe not being reelected. He was afraid of losing his lifestyle. He was afraid of his uh, position in society. He was afraid of all the different things that are really just going on in the minds of people. And that's what happened to Pilate. Now, does that transfer to today? Absolutely, yes, it transfers to today. I've got to be very quick in the last couple minutes here. It transfers to today with our politicians. It, and listen, I, and I've said this before, it can happen to preachers. If a preacher finds out that 80% of his congregation doesn't really like what he's preaching, it's very easy for him to crawl into that snare and change it. I mean, and, and to change what he's preaching to content the crowd. Do you know that there have been people that I know of, 100%, I know people that believe exactly what we believe here this morning. But they will not leave a church that believes something totally different to come here and sit under the sound of what we say is the truth of salvation by grace. They will not do it. Why? Because they're afraid of men's opinions and judgments. Preachers can be afraid of men's opinions and judgments and quit preaching what they know they ought to preach. I've heard of preachers before that don't believe what we believe, but came to believe what we believe, but didn't have the courage to stand up and preach it to their congregation because they were afraid of their congregation. It happens with all, look, with all the movements that we've got going today, all the movements that are going on today, I mean, there's so many I can't even name them. Well, you better be a part of them. How about this? You better have some recognition of the of the Black Lives Matter movement or we're coming for you. Because I don't really want to act like I support that or a homosexual movement or this. I don't really want to, but I sure don't want people's opinions of me to change. And so they do something they don't want to do. I think there's a world full of young teenage ladies that hold up a dress and they look at it in the mirror and say, "I don't want to parade around in this." But I'm scared to death that the the other girls won't think I'm a, a snazzy dresser, that I'm cute, that I'm up to date, that I'm fashionable. They don't want to put that on, but they do it because they're afraid of men's opinions. Peter was not at one point in his life. Peter was threatened, stopped preaching. Peter continued to preach. Peter was beaten. Peter was thrown in jail. Peter was let out of jail. And Peter looked at them and said... You can decide whether it's more important for me to obey God or man. I'll let you decide. But I'm going to obey God's what he said. Peter was just the opposite. You know, there was a hockey player, I think it was hockey just a few days ago, I read an article, where the entire organization, and they'll do that. Listen, hey, these professional athletes, they're not making chunk change. There's a lot on the line if that contract doesn't get re-signed. millions, million, uh, millions of dollars a year that this athlete would make and, th- and every organization, it seems like we've got to take a day or two or a week or two and celebrate the abominations of the world and you better wear the uniform that we give you to show your support for it. And he said, I'm not doing it. Hey, I'm not doing it. He wasn't pilot. He was Peter and he stood up and said, I'm not doing it. You can take my money. You can take my fame. You can take the sport that I love. But he said, I'm not, he said, I'll help them if they need me. I'll love them, but I will not support them because I answer to God first Amen. and this organization second. Right. The fear of man bringeth a snare. You get trapped in that stare, snare, whatever it is, young ladies, you start wearing the clothes that, that you know you ought not be wearing because you're afraid of what your friends might think. The more you do it, the harder it's going to be to get out of it. The more you support something that you shouldn't support, the harder it's going to be to get get out of it. May all of God's people have a spiritual backbone when the crowd brings Jesus to you and you have to decide, will I turn my back on Jesus or will I stand beside Him? May all of God's people have the courage to say, I will not stand against this man. Not only because he's done nothing wrong, but he's also saved me from the depths of hell. I hope that we can live with that courage. I hope that's been profitable to you, and thank you for your attention.